You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. really good to see you. Um, For those who don't know, my name is Colleen. I have been, oh, it was a little clap then. I was like, yes. Oh, thanks. (laughs) My name's Colleen, everyone. I'd like, and whenever I introduce myself, everybody has to clap again. Hello, my name. (laughs) No, you don't. You really don't. Um, And um, I've been going to this church for a really long time. I've been working here for about 14 years as the kids pastor. Um, And if you've ever heard me preach, you will know that I love a good story. I love to um, tell stories. I love to read stories. I love to uh, read stories to my children. And I really love to read the Word of God because there is some incredible things that happen in the Bible. I love reading the Word of God and retelling those stories so that we can have a better understanding of what God is saying. I think sometimes when we read the words that are on the page, we can kind of just read it for what it is. But actually, if we know the bigger picture of where it comes and what is happening around it, then there is so much more that we can learn from it. So today, I want to share with you a story of free men from the Old Testament. Is that okay? Great. So for those of you who don't know, I have two children. I'll have three when it comes to February. This is a baby, everyone. It's not just me looking like a <laughs> like this, everyone. I've got I've got a point out. I've got Nora and Ezra, and um, I always get a bit of a funny reaction when we tell people um, the names of our children. Um, there's a generation that think of Nora. Is it related to the last of the summer wind? Is it? They're always like, oh, is she named after that? No. No, she's not. Um, And then whenever we say Ezra, I am met with kind of two responses. There was a TV show, an American teen TV show, really terrible. I loved it, but it was a really terrible TV show. And there was a main character in it called Ezra. He's not named after that. Then we get the George Ezra, I'm not going to lie. I love a little bit of shotgun and green, green grass, but we did not name him after George Ezra. We named Ezra after Ezra from the Bible. Now, the word Ezra means helper, and our prayer for him is that he will be a help to people who didn't realize they needed it, that he'll be a help wherever he goes. And just like Ezra in the Bible, who knew the Word of God and who preached the Word of God, that's our prayer for Ezra. He'll love church and love the Word of God. And you know, Ezra is a book in the Old Testament, and I think sometimes it's a book that we probably don't always read. Um, It is found in the Old Testament after Chronicles, um, just before Nehemiah and Esther, and it is classed in the history section. Now, there is only 10 chapters in the book of Ezra, and two and a half of them are made up of a list of names. And let's be honest, who reads the names in the Bible? I mean, I probably should, because... This child doesn't have a name at the moment, so maybe I should start reading the list of names. So there's 10 chapters in the book of Ezra, and two and a half of them are literally lists of names. And I think sometimes it can be a book that we can overlook, but actually there is some incredible things happening in this book that we can learn from and that we can put into place in our lives. So we are going to look at the book of Ezra. Is that all right? 
amazing. So Ezra, like I said, is found in the Old Testament in the history section. And in the Hebrew Bible, um, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah were actually classed as the same book before it was split. And there's definitely a theme to that. And it makes sense. Um, Like I said, there's only 10 chapters in it. And the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther recall the journey of the Jewish people returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to restore their faith. So a bit of a background to what's happening in the book of Ezra. Jerusalem is in a mess. The place is a mess. The temple has been destroyed. The king has been made a slave by the Babylonians. Israel was a mess. They had defiled the temple. They were neglecting the orphans and the widows. They worshipped idols. Sin was on their throne, and because of that, they had to be overthrown. Now, in the book of Daniel, you read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they were a part of this first group of people to be taken from where they lived and taken to Babylon to join in the Babylonian army. Now, the book of Ezra takes place around 50 years after the story of Daniel. Rebellion, spiritual amnesia had landed these Israelites living in captivity and under a foreign rule. They were living in exile. Now, I don't know about you. There's no place like home, is there? Like... (laughs) You can go on the best holiday of your life, but still there's just something about coming home, isn't there? There's something about being in your familiar surroundings, a place where you can just be yourself, where you can just take off your shoes, relax. You don't have to be anybody else but who you are. And the thing is, is there is no place like home. And these guys longed for home. They longed to be at home. They were taken from what they knew, what they were familiar with, to a foreign land and they longed for home. Now, I don't normally do titles to preachers. I'm not that normal person, but I actually do have a title. So if you're a title writer, the title of this preach is called Coming Home. And what we're going to do for the next couple of minutes is we're going to look at the journey of the Jewish people returning back home and seeing what we can learn from them. So if you've got your Bibles, let's head to the book of Ezra. So for me, the book of Ezra, the first chapter, I can picture it like the start of a film. The credits roll, and in you see this incredible throne. The doors open, the camera comes in, and you are in this magnificent, amazing throne room. You pass all of these luxury things, and right at the top there is a king sat on his throne, surrounded by his guards and his advisors. And this king is a Persian king, and his name is Cyrus. And this is what it says in Ezra chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a plocrum, yep, throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what the king of Persia said. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of the people among you may go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them." 
So what is happening here is King Cyrus, who is the Persian king, they have defeated the Babylonians. He, he is in, he's in charge of one of the biggest empires. He is a powerful king. It says that he's a pagan king. He gets moved by God to make this decree that basically says, if you want to go back to Jerusalem, you can. If you want to go back to your home and rebuild the temple, you can. You see, God was moving on the heart of the most powerful king because he was getting his people ready to return home. If there was ever a time when the Jewish people felt like they had been forgotten, it was probably while they were in exile. They'd been there for a number of years. They were forced away from what they knew, what they were familiar with. They were in a place where they were forced to believe different things, split from their families. If they were ever in a place where they would ask themselves, God, where are you? What is going on? Have you forgotten? us. It was when they were in exile. And I think sometimes we can find ourselves in that place. We can ask God, where are you? We can feel like we're in our own exile and we can ask God, where are you? Where are you in this situation? You know, look at this family situation I'm in. Where are you? Where are you in our finances? Where are you in my relationships? Where are you? And we can ask God, where are you? But here's the thing. God had not forgotten the Jewish people. He was moving on the hearts of the most powerful pagan kings for him to make this decree to start sending the people home. He hadn't forgotten the Jewish people and he hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't forgotten the prayers that we've prayed and the dreams that we had. We may feel like he's forgotten us, but he hasn't. He was moving on the hearts of the most powerful king that he would make this law to send them home. God is doing so much more behind the scenes that we can ever see or imagine. You may feel like you're in a season where you feel like you're in a bit of an exile and you feel like God has forgotten you, but he hasn't. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten your prayers and your dreams and all of those things. Psalm 94 verse 18 to 19 says this, I cried out, I am slipping, but your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me a renewed hope. When we feel like we're in that place where we feel like God has forgotten us and we feel like we're slipping. He hasn't. He will give us a renewed hope. We just need to lean into him and push into him. Don't let the exile force you in anymore. God has not forgotten you. And if you are in that place and you feel like God has forgotten you, stop saying it. Start saying that God is with you, that he knows what's going on, that he's got so much going on. Stop declaring that God has forgotten you. So, um, the king makes this law that if people want to go back home, they can. And amongst this crowd of people who hear this decree is a guy called Zerubbabel. I mean, it's going to be a lot if I keep saying that. Uh, Zerubbabel. And he hears this decree and he has this stirring in his heart. You know, that feeling when you hear God speak and your hands start to get a bit sweaty and you can feel your heart pounding and you know that God is calling you out and he's asking you to do something. You know, that feeling that you, you leave church on a Sunday and you think, oh, that was just a one-off thing, but you actually you keep coming back to it every single day. Zerubbabel started to have that feeling. Now, his name actually means to be born in captivity and he represents this generation of people who had never 
been in Jerusalem. They had never seen the temple in all its glory. He had lived his whole life in exile and captivity, but he has this stirring in his spirit that he needs to do something. So he leads the first group of exiles back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Now, amongst this group of exiles, there would have been people who had never seen it in all its glory and people who had seen it in its all its glory. They would have seen the temple that Solomon had built, just like we were talking about in the offering. They would have seen what it was like when it was in its busiest and its amazing time. And so he had this group of people who had no idea what they were doing and then this group of people who had seen it and what it was like. And so imagine their surprise and their reaction when they returned to Jerusalem, and the place is a mess. The temple that once stood in all its glory was now in disrepair. The walls were completely gone. Houses were boarded up, and the place was just in chaos. And amongst the chaos, there was a group of people who had moved into the neighborhood. And these people were not happy that the Jewish people were returning back to Jerusalem to rebuild what was lost. And this is what we read in Ezra chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua and his fellow priests, Zerubbabel, and his associates began to build the altar of God, um, God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offer offerings in accordance with what is written in the law of the Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundations and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord both morning and evening. So they started to build. They started to um, offer these burnt sacrifices to God. They started to re-celebrate festivals that had been cancelled for so long. And they started making progress towards building this temple. And then later on in chapter 3, we read this in verse 10. When the builders laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord, the priest um, and with his trumpets, and the Levites with their cymbals took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundations of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundations of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of shouts of joy for sounds of weeping, because the people made so much noise. So the foundation was laid. They were slowly starting to rebuild this temple. And when the foundation was laid, the people who had seen it, there was these two emotions. There was a group of people who were so joyful. They were praising God because finally, after all of these years, we were rebuilding the temple of God. But the people who had seen it in all of its glory started to wail and cry and mourn because it wasn't what it was. And you know, when I was thinking about this, this battle between mourning and joy, it reminded me of a time um, just before we had Nora. So I was married and was with Andrew for about three and a half years before Nora came along. And obviously I was so excited to be having a baby and so excited for the joy of 
what was to come. But I'm not going to lie, there was a little part of me that was sad. You know, for such a long time, it was just me and Andrew. We, we did what we wanted. We went on lots of holidays. We spent our Saturdays napping, eating when we want, sitting in coffee shops, going shopping, spending our money on whatever we wanted, not on squishmallows, which I feel like that's all I ever do now. And I remember in this moment, call it hormones or whatever it was, being sad. I was mourning the, you know, I'm not saying me and Andrew split up, but it's different. It's different when children come along. You have to work so much harder. The freedom that you have changes. And I was sad. And I'm not going to lie, I was sad about what I was losing, but I was so excited for what it was to come. And I experienced that, that mourning and that joy at the same time. You know, stepping out and stepping out into the calling that God has put on your life, stepping into a new job, a new home, a new town, a new city can be really hard to do because actually sometimes when we step out into what God's calling us to do, it can mean that we are leaving the familiarity and the comfort of what we already know. Lots of the Jewish people didn't return to Jerusalem because they'd got so used to this whole new way of living. They were in this place of comfort and they didn't want to leave it. You know, stepping out into a new season, a new calling, a new place, a new job. It can be so scary to do. And we can go through this battle of, of mourning what we had and mourning what we've come from and being excited for what's ahead. Now, I think it's okay to have both. It's okay to feel sad and excited. It's okay to mourn what was and be excited for what is to come. But here's the thing, we always have the promise of Ephesians 3, 20 in front of us. And this is what it says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. Yes, when we step into a new season, a new job, when we step into the calling that God has placed on us, it might be hard and it might be difficult and it might be completely different to where we've come from. But we've got that promise in front of us that God has got immeasurably more in store for us than anything we can ever ask or imagine. Now, I'm not telling you to ignore what God has done. Let's honor what God has done. Let's thank him for what he's done. But let's not let that be our main focus. Let's be excited for what is to come. Let's get ourselves ready for what is ahead. I think sometimes we can be so focused on the past of, of well, I had this job and I had this relationship and I lived in this house and church was like this, that actually we're so distracted by what's behind us that God's trying to show us what's in front of us, but we're still trying to get ourselves back here. Yes, it was good. Yes, it was amazing. Yes, we can have those feelings of the good old days. I do most Saturdays. <laughs> most Saturdays after a morning of swimming lessons and gymnastics, and then I'm sat in a sweaty soft play wondering what illness my child's going to have. I have those moments of like... <laughs> Remember those Saturdays? Remember those good old days? But that's not going to stop me from living where I am now so I can go back to those Saturdays. You know, God has got so much more in store for us. Stepping out, stepping into the calling that he has on our lives, it's going to be difficult. And there's going to be times when we're going to have this morning and we're going to be sad for what was, but we can also have that joy that God has got so much more in store for us that he's going to blow our minds. He's got incredible 
incredible things planned for every single one of us. And I imagine that's how the Jewish people felt. They were leaving the comfort of what they knew, but were excited for what was ahead of them. So they carried on building. And this is what happened in Ezra 4, chapter 4 to 5. Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia. So the group of people who were already living in the town were not happy that they were building the temple. They sent letters to the king. They flirted. They bribed. They did whatever they could to distract the Jewish people. And here's the thing. It worked. It worked. You know, they returned to Jerusalem to re- rebuild the temple. And actually what they found themselves is after a couple of years, they've fallen back into the same traps, into the same thoughts, into the same actions. And, you know, in the book of Genesis, it talks about how sin is crouching at our door, ready to trip us up. And when I think about that picture, I think when you open a door, you don't look down, do you? You're looking ahead of you to see who's in front of you. And that's because sin is there to trick us. It's there to trip us up when we least expect it. When we step into the calling that God has on our life, when we are winning people for him, sharing our faith, stepping out into what God wants for us, the devil will do whatever he can to try and trip us up and to stop us from living the life that God has got in store for us. So we need to make sure that we are putting on our armor of God, that we are standing with the people in our life group, that we are praying but most of all that we are holding on to what God said and reminding ourselves every single day the devil will do whatever he can to make you get back to that place of exile to put you back in that place of shame and disappointment where you feel chained down he'll do whatever he can to get back there so we need to make sure that we are armed and ready and that we are doing whatever we can to remember what God is saying to us So what happens next is we kind of move on from the story. Um, Zerubbabel finishes, and this is where we meet Ezra. Now, Ezra was a man who knew the law and knew what God, the teaching of the Torah was. And he, again, he is a king. So at this time, there is a new Persian king called King Darius. And King Darius makes this law that says... If you want to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, then you can go. Again, a Persian king being moved by God, reminding us that God is doing so much more behind the scenes than we can ever imagine. Amongst that group of people who felt that stirring was this Ezra. Ezra felt like he needed to go back. Ezra, with a group of second exiles, returned to Jerusalem. And of course, it's not what they expect, is it? They have fallen back into their old ways. Sin is on their throne, and they are married to the wrong people. They are living in sin. They are doing things on the Sabbath. They are not living the life that they should be. Ezra is devastated. He is so angry. He rips his clothes and rips his hair, which I just love that dramaticness of like, what is this? And he rips his hair and rips his clothes and he gets down on his hands and knees and he starts to wail and cry out to God and say, I am sorry for what they are doing. 
But what happens in this moment is that as he is crying out to God, people see something and actually it causes a chain, a change in them. And people realize they've been living the wrong life and decide to change. And then that's where the book of Ezra finishes. Well, actually, it finishes with a list of people who didn't turn around and change. And that's the reason why the next book, Nehemiah, when you read it, it kind of fits in with the story. So Zerubbabel returns, builds the temple, but they fall into their own ways. Ezra returns and starts to teach the law and challenge their behavior. And then in Nehemiah, we meet Nehemiah. He is a cupbearer to the king. And the Persian king at the time is King Artaxerxes. I'm really good at names, everyone. (laughs) Really good at names. And Basically, Nehemiah hears of what's happening in Jerusalem. And again, he has this stirring in his spirit that he needs to do something. And he needs to head back home to rebuild the temple walls. He goes to the king. And again, God is moving on the hearts of these powerful kings. And the king says, yeah, if you want to go home, here's the money, here's the supplies, here's some people, go He returns to Jerusalem. He rebuilds the temple walls. But again, the opposition is there. It says in the book of Nehemiah that literally as they're building the walls, they have people behind them with swords ready to protect them because people were not happy that God, that they were doing whatever they could to bring God home and to rebuild what was lost. Nehemiah made loads of changes. He did whatever he could. And when the wall was built and the temple was ready, Ezra preached the word of God. But we're probably getting used to what happens next, aren't we? And it wasn't long before the Jewish people started to mess up again. It wasn't long before they started trading on the Sabbath It says that they turned the walls of the town into like a market hall. So when Nehemiah returned again, he is so mad. He is so, so mad at these people. You see, here we've got three stories of free men. And it starts with a Persian king being moved by God, a calling from God, a stirring in the spirit, people stepping out of where they are, stepping into a calling that God's put on their life. They rebuilt the temple. They taught the law. They rebuilt the city walls. They did whatever they could to bring God home, to bring him back to where he dwelled amongst them. But here's the thing. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And I think sometimes, Beth talked about in worship, sometimes we think we've got to do all of these things. And if we tick all of these boxes, then that will make God happy. And we think that if we try hard and we serve on every team and that we give everything and we do all of this and that will make God happy. But the truth is, is it needs so much more. Yes, the temple was important. Yes, the law was important. The wall was important. And yes, all of those things needed to change. But what these Jewish people needed more than anything was a change in their heart. They needed an encounter with God. You know, coming to church is important. Reading your Bible, serving, being around people like this is so important. But if you haven't had that encounter with God, then what's the point? 
If you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, if you haven't had that relationship with him, what's the point? I'm sure I'm not the only one who has decided to be fit and healthy, bought all the gear, downloaded the apps, done the food shop, and you've been ready to do your couch to 5k and do all your calorie counting. But let's be honest, if your heart's not in it, there's no point in doing it, is there? You know, we can spend our days literally reading the Bible constantly, but if we're not really got that heart connection with God, we're just reading words on a paper. Yes, these things are so important, but the problem was is these Jewish people were doing whatever they could to bring God home, to, uh, to fulfill that prophecy that somebody would come in the line of David. But here's the thing, as the band comes to the stage, we know that it needed so much more than that, didn't it? We know that actually, years later, in a stable, a baby would be born. A baby who would grow up, live a normal childhood, who would go on to perform these amazing miracles. A baby who would become the savior of the world. A man who endured the worst death on a cross. Who went through the most painful death you can imagine. And here's the thing, he did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. And you see, when he died on the cross for every single one of us, he bridged the gap between us and God. You see, these three groups of exiles, these three men left where they were and went back to where they had been to do whatever they could to bring God home. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, Jesus comes and finds us in our exile. They left their place of exile searching for God. They left their place hoping if they build the temple and they did all of these things and they would find God again. But because of what Jesus did... Because of the death that he went through, he comes and meets us exactly where we are. God is calling us out. He's asking us to step into a new season. He's asking us to speak to somebody on the school playground. He's asking us to speak to that person that sits opposite us at work. He's asking us to step into a whole new season where so many of us are living our life in exile. We live in our life in a place of shame and a place of hurt and a place where we are chained and shackled down. And actually for some of us, I know and I'm happy to admit it, sometimes it's easier to be in that exile. It's familiar. It's what I'm used to. And having these thoughts and these feelings over here in this place of exile is actually a place where I'm comfortable. And if I was to push this off and to leave my exile, I'm stepping into something really unknown. What happens if God asks me to do something and I'm, and I'm not ready for it? What happens if he asks me to go somewhere and I don't want to, actually, I'm just going to get back into my exile? These men work so hard. They left their place in search of God when actually, when Jesus died on the cross, he died so that we and he could bridge that gap between us and God. And actually what happens is God comes and meets us in our exile. He comes and meets us exactly where we are. And it's like he takes our hand, we get rid of those chains, and we can step into all that God has got in store for us. Church, let's stand together as the band start to play. You know... 
we were singing a song and I, shame on me, hadn't looked. And the words of this song I quickly wrote down and we're going to sing it again. And um, one of the lines in the song is, shame said no, but grace said yes. Chain said no, but your love said yes. Too many of us are living our lives in exile. We're living our lives in captivity. And actually, to us, it's comfortable. It's easy. We know what we're doing here. We can deal with our shame. And we know what we, we actually get familiar with the shame and the chains and the guilt and the sin and the, the addiction and the relationships. And we quite like where we are because it's what we know and it's what we're comfortable. But here's the thing. We don't have to be like the Jewish people and leave our homes and build these fancy temples and do all of these crazy things because, because of what Jesus did. God comes looking for us. And too many of us are living our lives in exile. Too many of us are happy with the surroundings that we're in. Too many of us are living chained and, and shackled by mistakes that we've made. But here's the thing, when Jesus died on the cross and when we come to him and when we say sorry for what we've done wrong, when we ask him into our lives, and here's the thing, you could have been a Christian for many years, but we can still be carrying around our shame and our guilt. You see, when we come to the foot of cross and we say sorry for what we've done wrong, we can walk away leaving that shame, leaving that guilt, leaving that hurt, that addiction, that relationship. And here's the thing, God comes and it's like he takes our hand and says, let's do this. Too many of us are living in exile. Too many of us didn't realize we were in exile, but actually God is speaking to you right now saying, yeah, you, you're living in shame and you're happy with that. You're living in the weight of the mistakes that you've done wrong. And actually, because you don't want to face up to it, this has become quite comfortable and norm. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing this song again. And just while we're in this moment, I just want you to take a moment. What, why are you in exile? What is it? Is it an addiction that's keeping you there? Is it a relationship? Is it a thought, a feeling? And, you know, just before I got up, I feel like people are living in exile because of the words that other people have spoken over you. Other people have said to you, you are nothing, you are worthless, this is what you deserve. It's not what God says. God has got so much in store for you. He's got that immeasurably more right in front of you. But too many of you are living in the exile of other people's opinions and thoughts. And you know what? We're not going to leave here today without some things being broken and some chains being broken. And that because basically when Jesus died, we don't have to live under that anymore. We don't have to carry these things around us. So we're going to worship again. And as we worship and sing these words, let these words be a declaration that the chains say no, but his love says yes. That this shame says no, but his grace says yes. Because of what Jesus did, we no longer need to live in our exile. And then the words of the song says, he came looking for me and now I'm found. I believe that today some of us are going to leave here feeling more found than we've ever been found. That actually as we choose to worship God now, 
you're going to feel him come and meet you. As you choose to hand over your exile and hand over your shame and your guilt, God is going to come and meet you exactly where you are. And he's going to take your hand because he came looking for you. He came looking for you and you've been found. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.